Let me add some words of welcome to those you've already been given this morning. To those who may be joining us for the first time or you have been away for a while. It was so uh, it was so interesting to watch you some of you singing this morning given that it's uh, almost the end of March and we're worn out by this kind of winter. And when you began to sing, I'll fly, fly away, some of you brightened up so much so. <laughs> you looked like a group of people who had tickets to Florida in your pocket. <laughs> I know that may not have been true, but for a, a moment of fantasy, I'm sure you, you, you all looked much, much brighter and uh, your spirits were lifted. So. Thank you, worship team, for leading us in that song. It couldn't have been more timely. <laughs> you noticed when you came in this morning in the foyer that there's a, uh, there's a colorful and engaging sign on the, food bank, uh, on the food bank table. We're endeavoring to, we're endeavoring to, uh, to promote that ministry a great deal more. And if you didn't come prepared this week, then we certainly will take what you offer next time next time you come and so we certainly appreciate the work that this important ministry does and we want to get behind it and support it as deeply as we can now this morning trusting god for every turn in the road and if you've driven some of our roads you've got to make some extra turns around the potholes this time of year Tony Campolo, many of you would know, very entertaining speaker, evangelical activist in many regards, and I've had the opportunity of spending some time with him in the past as a campus chaplain. He tells a story about being pressured by time, and he had to go to a certain church to, church to preach. So he took a flight from his, his home near Philadelphia to go to New York City. And as quickly as traffic would allow, he shuttled across the city, but he had to be in the pulpit in the confines of a very tight schedule that particular morning. And on that Sunday, of course, Murphy's Law kick, kicked in and delays made an already tight schedule almost impossible. And Dr. Campola was determined he'd keep his assignment, so he hastily left the airport in New York, grabbed a cab, and began a harrowing drive through legendary New York City traffic to get to the church on time. And as the cab ride unfolded, he knew he wouldn't make it for the 11 o'clock start time. Fire trucks were in his way. Once in a while, an ambulance crossed his path. Traffic accidents all played their role to have him deposited on the church steps just at the moment when the sermon was being announced. He burst into the church and, to the surprise of everybody, was able to get to the pulpit right at the exact moment he had to preach. Now, the kind of character Tony Campolo has allowed him to get right down to business, and from a cold start, not even an introduction, he made the next 45 minutes memorable, worked at making his points. And if you know Tony Campolo, there would be a great deal of laughter that accompanied that, and hard points as well, but he, 
he did an admirable job with his sermon because he, he is a highly sought-after speaker all over the world. And he ended his sermon to the thunderous applause of the congregation who appreciated him, and the minister came back to the pulpit with words of commendation for his message. He said, thank you, sir, for such an inspiring message from the Word of God this morning. We are so pleased to have you as our guest this morning, but who are you? Dr. Tony Campolo, in his haste, missed his true destination and was supposed to be in another church directly across the street from that one. It's a great story. And the way the flamboyant Dr. Tony Campolo explains it, it's reminiscent of an episode to me in the life of the Apostle Paul as he goes on his missionary journeys. And so Acts chapter 16 and verse 6 shows us a preacher who's seeking his next destination to declare the fresh message of the word of God. Paul is taking the message of Christ throughout Asia. And he's about to make a, an interesting jump. So when you found it in your Bibles, Acts chapter 16 and verse 6, Paul and his companions traveled through the region of Phrygia and Galatia. I'll stop there and say, on Wednesdays now, we're studying the book of Galatians. I didn't preach on that just so Galatia was in it, but it occurs to me. And so you're invited to come along with the 30, 35 other people who come on Wednesday nights. And uh, we're studying the book of Galatians at present. Now I'll start all over again. Paul and his companions traveled through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit. Notice that, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, he got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Amen. What a cryptic pattern of guidance for these early church missionaries. They were directed through the obstacles. Their way seemed barred in some, some directions, but opened in other directions. But one thing I want you to note, there was always an open door before the Apostle Paul and before the early missionaries of the church, and it's true for us too. There's always an open door if we'll look for it. The Holy Spirit could see the road ahead. He had, appointed, he had appointed a way to lead them, and to their credit, they didn't go madly off in all, all directions, but they listened to the inner voice of the Spirit, which is something like a divine GPS for them. And he mapped their journey for them and set their waypoints. Now I want to stop here for a moment, because just in a few weeks time we haven't settled the date but likely just after Easter there are a number of people who among those of you who are already already 
following the Lord, there are those who are preparing to follow the Lord and be baptized in water very soon. Baptism is one of the waypoints on your spiritual journey. It's put in place for you. The ordinance of water baptism is squarely on the pathway that is set for the children of God. And as surely as Jesus made his way to the banks of the Jordan, where John was preaching his prophetic message, then you're responding to Jesus' own injunction to do this, as he says, to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus stepped into the waters on that day, not to symbolize his own repentance, but to set the example to use baptism as a clear, visible sign of our death to sin, our burial under waters of baptism, our rise from these waters to resurrection life made possible by Jesus' defeat of death. I put that in this morning because it's, there's something about this that I want to bring later in the sermon. And how you're probably wondering, why has the pastor gone off on such a tangent now? You're looking at, the, you're looking at an example from Acts that doesn't have anything about water baptism in it, and you raise it. Well, Paul couldn't have known it at the time, but God had placed him on a collision course with a water baptismal service that would have pain as its pre- prelude, but rejoicing as its result. In our text, I read it to you this morning, Paul wanted to preach Christ in Bithynia. If he was setting his own schedule, that's where he would have gone. But the Holy Spirit forbade him from entering that part of Asia, and then in the middle of the night came the vision of the man from Macedonia that probably inspired the hymn we have heard the Macedonian call today, Send the Light. Some of us have sung it in the past. And this, this vision, the person in the vision implored the apostle, come over to Macedonia and help us. So Paul and Silas, who are on this trip, and Luke, who is writing and traveling with them, Paul had his own personal doctor with him, in the person of Luke, they set sail for Philippi in Macedonia. And I want you to know that when they went to Macedonia, it is the gateway of the gospel to the European continent. This is what's so important about that for me. Every Christian should be grateful for this record because many of us here, I can't say most anymore in this assembly, but many of us are of European descent. This is the point in the scriptures when the gospel crosses a huge barrier and it begins its slow trip into Europe. And we all know that many of us received the gospel in this country because of, because of Europeans who came with the message or emigrated with the message with them. Now, there's a principle I'd like to note here. It's the principle of double guidance. Paul was forbidden to go to one area, but invited to go to another one. He had a red light and a green light at the same time, And I know that would be a little bit confusing if we were driving to church this morning, wouldn't it? The danger, you see, for us as Christians is only to respond to what God doesn't want us to do. To only hear what is forbidden, a prohibition. When the Spirit forbids something in our lives, 
We must then be very, very open to his guidance because it's often God's way of saying, listen closely, I've got something better for you. I want a fresh direction in in your life. And so for Paul and his entourage on this occasion, God said, don't go to Bithynia. It's off limits for you. But that same night they discover Macedonia is the target. God does never have a standing still. The voyage is quick. Two days to cover 150 miles to Philippi. And some scholars say that this is actually where Luke was from. And on the Sabbath day, they went down, they went down to, a, to a group who were meeting outside the city gates and approached them. And this seems like this seems like an awfully cold way of beginning. But Paul spoke at a group that was meeting on the Sabbath day. There are converts among them. One particular person was Lydia, a textile merchant, and all of her household were were baptized. Did you get that? Salvation resulted in a baptismal service. I'm hammering this point today. Can you tell? A theologian puts it this way. Baptism follows salvation. It neither precedes it nor procures it. It follows it. We're Baptists, aren't we? I'm preaching your doctrine and my doctrine. But God had even more in mind. And so he has some initial success in Macedonia, the city of Philippi. Chapter 16 records how one day on their way to a prayer meeting, they met a slave girl who had a spirit. Not a good spirit either. Allowed this girl to foretell the future. She was used by her owners to make money fortune telling. And the girl followed the missionaries screaming, these men are servants as the most high God telling you how to be saved. And she kept this up for many days, the scripture says, and Paul realized that the cause of Christ is not furthered by the devil running your advertising. And so he was grieved to the point that on one occasion, after he had taken as much of this as he could suffer, something occurred inside of Paul. He turned to the woman, he cast out the demon, and in exercising the demon, also lost her owners, or her handlers, their source of income. So he put her out of a job, put her owners out of their profits. Paul and Silas were seized by the woman's owners. They dragged them forcibly before magistrates without, with allegations that these Jews had introduced an alien religion and were advocating unlawful practices, and they got swift justice for that. Paul and Silas were flogged and thrown in the innermost cell in the prison and put in stocks as well, so they're immobilized. Kind of rough treatment. You think that if the Holy Spirit had directed them into into Philippi and Macedonia being the region, things should have gone a whole lot smoother. Is it possible that doing God's will can sometimes get you into a little bit of trouble? Perhaps it does. Luke picks up the story again, and this 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 is from Sunday school, my first memory, Acts 16 and 25, and you know about this. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. 
and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself, we are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailers took them, washed their wounds. Then immediately he he and all his household were baptized. There's that word again. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his old household. Great story. I love reading these accounts of Paul's missionary journeys. Powerful reminder of the sacrifices these missionaries made to advance advance the gospel. But just a couple of phrases from the the description of of the jailer's response touches my heart, and I trust it touches yours too. They're phrases that speak of the change that takes place in a person's heart when they become a Christian. One of the phrases is this one. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds because they had been beaten. You see, when a person tries to dry the tears that they've caused, That person has met Christ. This jailer was the instrument of a cruel regime, and when Christ touched his heart, when he saw mercy and felt grace, he tried to bind up the wounds he'd caused. See, when a person is unwilling to reach out to those that he or she has hurt and ask forgiveness and minister to their hurts, they've really not experienced Christ's forgiveness like they ought to have. This official from Rome took his stand in the place where he had authority. He could not lead Rome to Christ, but he could lead his household. The man had been on the brink of suicide, ready to take his own life before Rome took it for loss of his prisoners. That would have been the rule. Now he had given his life to the only one who would allow him to have life forever. And God always will drive a better bargain than you will find elsewhere. He gives beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, Isaiah says, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. You will never find yourself in a place where serving him is going to do you harm. It may not always be, it may not always be easy but he will not do you harm. He will bless you. Some of you know that among my ministry stops before I came here as a pastor, I was a chaplain at Memorial University in St. John's a few years ago now. I met many fine young people there, but one young man I will never forget. 
found out that he was very devoted to Christ. I saw him growing as a Christian. I mentioned his name in a town I visited. I used to go around and preach a fair amount. And someone told me a story about him. They told me he was the only one of his family who served the Lord. And how as a young boy, he began going to church and joined the various child programs. Then he went on to youth programs in the church without any support from mom and dad. They didn't give him any support whatsoever. When his younger brother came of age, he introduced his brother to the church as well and brought him along to the, to the same church events that had an impact on his life. And as I listened to how much initiative this young, this young man had, my respect for, for, his, for him and his love for his younger brother and the kind of leadership that he showed within his family grew immensely. I said, wow. You don't see that very often in society where someone so young takes such time and thinks so, thinks so well about the future. One particular September, we held a fall retreat at a popular East Coast retreat center called Bury Heights, and a number of candidates among the student body asked to be baptized in water. The day we chose was clear. But there was a tiny shimmer of ice around the edge of the pond where the camp was located. As I recall, it was the 28th day of September. And I will never forget the fact that into those frigid waters, this young man walked out to his chest. I was already there. It was cold. Not nearly as warm as it's going to be in the baptismal tank here. It's September 28th. There's ice on the edges of the pond. We would never treat you like that here at Cornerbrook Baptist. But I was so impressed with him because he confessed his faith to Jesus Christ in the presence of the hundred or so students who'd gathered, and I gladly lowered him into that cold, cold lake. Everybody was ready on the beach, wrapped us in blankets as we exited the water, but eight young people Eight young people were baptized that particular, that particular morning. But I think more than the coldness of the, of the weather, cold and clear, the warmth of the Spirit's, the Spirit's presence and the joy at being able to officiate at this young man's baptism, uh, I think I hardly even felt what cold meant on that, on that particular occasion. And when Luke writes about the Philippian jailer, he says, immediately, he and all his family were baptized. They believed. What must I do to be saved? Baptism occurred. You see, release from a personal prison through the intervention of Jesus Christ should always find us at some point in a baptismal service, not as a spectator, but as a participant. A changed heart expresses itself in public commitment. This man's life had been, had been spared in a double sense. He had been spared the, 
He had been spared Rome's retribution upon him by Paul's quick action. And he had also been spared the the suicide that he planned to to carry out on himself. He was prepared for that. You see, it would have been a better death for him than execution by the state. And he goes from that condition to being rescued and set, set free. And no wonder baptism in water represents death, burial, and resurrection. It happens in this man's life in a very real way. And so it's his seal of commitment. It cries out publicly and proclaims that a new day has dawned in a person's life. It's a declaration of a change of ownership. Rome may indeed have been his employer, but Jesus Christ became his savior. And inasmuch as he wore the uniform of Rome, he also wore the marks of Christ in his life. Baptism is a symbolic identification with Jesus Christ in that manner. Paul said these words, I'm crucified with Christ and I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And baptism becomes the symbol of me dying to sin and to self, being buried in waters of baptism and arising to walk in newness of life with my soul purged from all unrighteousness in the presence of God. It's a symbol of a new relationship. The slide shows some of you have done this, gotten baptized in the Jordan River. If I get there sometime, I'll, I'll get baptized all over again. There was likely a well somewhere close to the prison where this story occurs in, the, in Luke's account. And this man's family joined them. Paul and Silas immersed them. And if there's one prayer in my heart, it's for us to have unity in our church family so that when we take these kinds of steps, we take them, we take them, we take them together. Luke wraps up this story in a wonderful way. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. It's well after midnight now. Paul and Silas had been through the ringer. They'd been beaten. They'd they'd ministered on an empty stomach. They'd won a new family for the infant church in Philippi. And now there's Christian hospitality, and I love this. There's Christian hospitality where before there had only been brutal legal responsibility. He's one of these people that could easily have said, I was just doing my job. A changed heart results in people loving each other, not from a distance, but up, but up close. And as much as we would care for each other, the Lord wants us to sit at our tables and feed us. He wants to serve us. The Lord wants to work through this church at the table because the table always speaks of an amazing opportunity for fellowship. And as I ponder God's provisions, I'm convinced that he sets the table very often for us. I felt as though I have fed this morning during the time of worship. It's good feeding time for Christians when we fellowship together in this manner. And what a change Luke concludes with as the missionaries face a brand new day. They listened to what the Spirit said, and it took them into some tumultuous times. They'd been into prison. Their backs were stinging from a beating. 
They were uncomfortable from being chained and probably locked in stocks. And now their jailer has become their host. A servant of Rome becomes a servant of the missionaries. Luke writes, he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God. He and his old family, he and his old family. He didn't have all of the exciting facts of the Christian faith. He didn't fully understand all of the theological principles that you and I, who may have had years in the faith, know. He just knew that baptism was called for. This is an exciting conclusion to this story. The Spirit told Paul to stay out of Bithynia. Instead, he finds himself in Philippi to answer a vision. A church begins. Look at it. A girl is delivered. Opposition was experienced. There's a beating, but out of it comes a new family for that church. You see, the pains of childbirth end in joy. The terror of persecution ends in victory. A suicide is averted, and a family is baptized, and for that there's joy. Pathway to joy in this life is paved with experiences that we will never understand. There will sometimes be the pain of a beating, the hurt of being misunderstood. We'll experience animosity when we've tried to do good things. All of us sometimes will sit in a prison we didn't make, and a test of our faith will be whether or not we can sing praises at midnight when our feet are in the stocks and our back is smirting from a beating. Good old Newfoundland word, smirt, which means to smart and to hurt all at the one time. You see, I can keep my song when the sun is shining, but can I keep it in those other times? Paul and Silas, in their condition, are singing songs to the Lord at midnight. That says something about the depth of their faith. Perhaps this message this morning is a personal reflection for me, too. I've met many people who have seen pain, but out of it has come joy. I've experienced pain myself, but out of it has come joy. You have, too, I'm sure. I've seen grace triumph. And I've watched as this double guidance from the Lord changed the course of lives. You see, the sudden turns in the road often take us by surprise. You really never planned on ending up here. And I didn't. But here you are. Here we are. You couldn't have seen this a few months ago here you are you couldn't have seen where you would be now a few years ago but somehow the spirit has led you to this point for only just a few months now i've shared your road and if the lord tarries there are other days ahead of us I would like to think that around every turn of the road for us at Cornerbrook Baptist, there will be a need to fill the baptismal tank and give new believers an opportunity to show their obedience to God. You see, there is such a need of Christ in this city that the baptismal area behind me should be used as often as the communion table in front of me. 
Wouldn't that be wonderful? You see, when Paul had occasion, let me back up what I say as I conclude this morning. When Paul had the occasion to reflect on the church in Philippi, because the, the letter to the Philippians are written, is written to these people, he didn't remember the jail. He didn't write about the beating. He didn't talk about the cruelty that he experienced there. But he remembered the victory of the gospel. He must have remembered the two water baptismal services conducted there. And later when he wrote the letter, Philippians 1 verse 2 says this, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. That's Paul's memory of Philippi. That's Paul's reflection. And what's absent are all of the negatives. How many negative things could we conjure up if we wanted to this morning? How many beatings can we remember? How many times have we been done wrong? How many times have life seemed so unfair and we cried out against it? I think the day will come when our reflections upon life will simply be the fact that Jesus Christ has saved me would you be free from your burden of sin? There's power in the blood we sang this morning. We have been set free. And freedom will place us at different waypoints in our life. But if you let him guide you, he may take you through some difficult things, but he will take you through them. And there will be joy and victory in the, in the end. The story of Paul's visit to Philippi, you see, is your story and my story. Around every turn in the road may lie difficult moments. But I'm asking you today to trust the Lord because he has grace for every challenge that you face and that I face. Let me address those who are candidates for baptism and those who ponder it. I came back to this because I want to leave no stone unturned as I bring you the weight of the word of God, not the weight of my opinion in taking this kind of step. You put your hand in his in a tighter clasp and commit to follow the Lord when you step in the waters of baptism. But let me assure you that you step forward with his blessing. And for that, I commend your faith, but also your action. Would you bow with me in prayer? Thank you, Lord, for all of the blessings that you shower into our lives. You said the servant is not above his master. You told us in the world we'd have trouble and tribulation. You told us there would be burdens to share. 
told us that we would carry heavy things. And Lord, today we realize it's so true for us. We all can point to some personal brokenness. But more than any of these things that come so easily to our minds, help us to focus for a few moments on the fact that you have saved us. You've brought us eternal life. And with it comes a perspective and a truth that tells us you will never leave us nor forsake us. With it comes an assurance that if we'll place our hand in yours, you will lead us to victory in the end. It may be through trial, it may be through tribulation, but as you brought Paul and Silas and Luke through a harrowing experience, you found some good in this. You brought profit into your kingdom through the sufferings of your people. And Lord, as we face a baptismal service in a few days, just a few weeks now, I pray that you will place your hand upon those who still, who still need to consider a step of obedience, obedience towards you. I pray that we won't become coercive in this, but we pray that your spirit, as surely as it guided Paul and Silas, will guide those who need to choose for you. And so today we commit ourselves to you. I thank you for every person who's bowed in your presence now. I especially pray for anyone who doesn't have a personal relationship with you. I pray that they'll seek you with all of their hearts, that they'll put their hand in yours willingly and say, Lord, guide me and direct me. Take away my sin, make me a new creature in Christ Jesus. For all of your blessings, we give you thanks as we enjoy fellowship together in just a, a few moments. We pray that the fellowship will be sweet, that our conversation will be wholesome, pleasing unto you, and that our lives would be testimonies of the goodness of God. We ask now that you would dismiss us from this place and as we reconvene for just a time of fellowship together, may your blessing be with us and go with us as we depart this place, walk into our world, and bring your love to a world that needs it so desperately. We ask these mercies and thank you again for your blessings. In Christ's name, amen. God bless you. Let's enjoy our coffee time and our fellowship together. Make sure you greet each other. Certainly I know you will.